Thanks for tuning in to Portico's online campus. During this season when so much of life has been altered, our online campus is still a great way for us to gather together as a church. Remember, the church is not a building, the church is people. So as you watch, I'd encourage you to fully participate in the worship just as you normally would. Stand and sing with us. Sign in and join the discussion with our online campus chat hosts. And let the word of God remind your heart that through all of this, he is still in control, he has not forgotten us, and he will continue to do great things in our lives and communities as we let him lead us. So sign in, grab your Bibles, and get ready to join Portico Online. Hi, Portico, and welcome to our Good Friday service. It is such a pleasure to be with you. I have to tell you that last worship song that we just sang together, Worthy is the Lamb. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that song evokes emotion to the very depths of your soul. It creates this spirit of gratitude, of awe and wonder because it's so deep and meaningful. Everything about that song reflects what we find value in when it comes to Good Friday. If you think about it, Good Friday is the most momentous weekend in the history of the world. And words fail to convey the depth of the love that we feel for Christ. And so while we gather together and we meet through our digital connections and online and you're in a family room or maybe you're watching by way of your phone or in the side yard and you're out in an easy chair and enjoying the service, wherever you are, I pray that this Good Friday, you would encounter the love of Christ in such a meaningful way. But you know, I know there are others, and for you, you're not really sure what the big deal is. Today doesn't evoke an emotion. You don't have that same sense of grandeur. In fact, I wonder if today maybe raises a question for you, and it's this question. What's so good about Good Friday? Good Friday, when you think about it historically, seems dark and sinister, it's disturbing. And really, to name the day good in connection with the historical events associated with the betrayal, the crucifixion, and the death of Jesus seems harshly juxtaposed. By all appearances, this day should be anything but good. And when you start to think about Jesus' life in particular, betrayed by a personal friend for some quick cash, he was abandoned by his closest companions in the hour of his greatest need, he was victimized by organized religion. He was tortured and mocked as a political insurgent. And ultimately, he was crucified to the delight of zealous mobs and thrill-seeking watchers. So why would anyone refer to this day as good? Now, many of you know, if you've listened to my stories over the years at the church, and maybe you're just tuning in to Portico for the first time, I grew up in a pastor's home. So Good Friday was never an option on the day to attend church. We always had to attend church. And what I remember about attending Good Friday services as a child, it seemed rather surreal. It just had that feeling connected to it. I can't fully explain it, but the best way is to convey this. Somehow I always felt that we had lost, that the hopes and the dreams of all that we wanted had been dashed to pieces. Now, for those of you that are Toronto Maple Leafs fans, you understand what I'm talking about. But for the rest of us, this will bring you into our world. I just couldn't get away from the feeling that what was wrong with Good Friday? The services felt somber. They felt con contemplative. 
It was the battle between good and evil. Good had experienced the momentary setback. It just seemed to me maybe that evil had won. And I had questions about this. And we'd go home. And when we went back to our house, our parents would, everything was quiet. And everything was very, very conservative. So we had to be very reflective. We were practicing social distancing before anybody knew what that was. We weren't allowed to go out and play. No sports, no activities, just a quiet day reflecting on the meaning of what it was. So we would wait for Easter Sunday. We wanted Sunday to come as quickly as possible. See, Easter Sunday brought this release to our pent-up emotions. Finally, we could celebrate the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, some churches couldn't even wait for Easter Sunday service. Some of the churches, and you know them, they would have sunrise services. These are the people that wanted the pregame. Like the Super Bowl, they wanted to do the pregame before the big show. And so Easter Sunday would come and we would celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything about it seemed fit together and this was perfect. So here's the question. Why take time to commemorate this day? Why not focus solely on Easter Sunday and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? And it all goes back to the question I asked earlier. What's so good about Good Friday? And when I look at the Bible and I look at Scripture, and here's what I want to remind all of us, and I'm so glad you're with us today as we go through this. You see, the image that the Bible portrays of Jesus on Passover Friday was not one of failure. Far from it. Jesus didn't simply endure Friday while waiting for Sunday to come. And John would give us this unique insight, this powerful glimpse into the life of what Jesus was experiencing and what he went through. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to get them out right now. And I want you to look at John chapter 13, and we're going to go to verse 1. Here's what we read. John writes, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved those who were his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now watch this. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water in a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Think about that image. That is not the picture of someone who's experienced defeat. That's not the picture of someone who said, everything is about to end, And this was a fatal mistake. This is a picture of Jesus understanding there is something in this Good Friday that is far beyond what we can even comprehend. Good Friday wasn't a catastrophe. It wasn't as if Judas had somehow caught Jesus off guard and Jesus didn't know what to do because he was betrayed by his friend. Good Friday was the culmination of his life's mission. Jesus fully anticipated everything about this day. And because of that, it's fully good. So I want to just leave us with a couple of thoughts today as we walk this through. And as you contemplate this, and maybe for the first time, you're wrestling with what Good Friday is all about. What's so good about Good Friday? If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write it down. The first point is this. Good Friday reminds us that the cross is the only way to experience a purpose-filled life. In John chapter 13, verse 1, just a moment ago, we read these words. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to his Father. 
See, Jesus was waiting for this moment. I love in the Greek how the structure of the language is here. It wasn't measuring it in hours and minutes and seconds like we do. It was talking about the concept of time, and Jesus knew this was the precise time. The events that transpired on this day were not a miscalculation in God's divine order. God didn't underestimate the strength of evil, and he wasn't surprised by the act of treason or the illegal tribunals. The image of Jesus being crucified on the cross may appear to paint a picture of failure. But remember this, appearances are often misleading. When you get into the scripture and you look at the life of Jesus, you'll find over and over and over, there was always a story behind the story. Jesus had willingly surrendered his life to the plans and the purposes of the Father. So that night when he gathered together with his followers in that upper room, and when Judas was about to betray him, and when the guards were about to come into the garden, when everything was going to go into chaos, Jesus wasn't caught off guard. John gives us a little bit of a hint. If you look back in the scripture, John chapter 13 and verse 1, John said this to us. It was just before the Passover. Why did John say that? John wanted to connect something very important. In fact, he recorded this earlier in his letter. The Passover was the time when all the people were expecting the Passover lamb to come to the temple. This was the sacrifice for the sin of the world. And the lamb had to be pure, without blemish, spotless. So John wants to connect something for us. He goes, I want you to recognize who Jesus is. And in John chapter 1 and verse 29, we read these words. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love this connection. John was reminding this. Nothing about this moment was a miscalculation. This was providential. God was bringing everything into his order. Jesus was born to die. That's almost unfathomable for us to get our minds around. But, but Jesus didn't attempt to avoid this week. The triumphal entry didn't distract him. He always knew that the cross was his ultimate goal. All throughout his earthly life, you can see this unmistakable sense. You can pick up the undertone all the way through his messaging that Jesus was moving towards the cross. In fact, if you go back over to the book of Acts, you'll find, or to the book of Luke, you'll find that Luke mentions this that as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That word resolutely is powerful. It talks about this steel-jawed determination. He was going to do what his father called him to do. See, the cross wasn't a mistake. The cross was a design, and it was intentional for Jesus. If you want to find purpose in your life, you can't avoid the way of the cross. And Jesus lived a purpose-filled life. And Good Friday wasn't a mistake. It was the perfect finale that Jesus was completing in his mission. Jesus would even speak to us, those of us who are followers of his. And in Matthew chapter 16, he would say this. Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and you must follow me. You see, friends, the way of the cross isn't the way to failure. It's the way to find the life that God has offered to us. I like what Erwin McManus said. He's a pastor and a teacher, a great writer. He said, only dead men can follow the God of the cross. So as we gather on this Good Friday and we contemplate what's so good about Good Friday, 
I would remind you that this was all providentially in God's purpose for us, that Jesus would show us that the best way to live is a life on mission. And the best mission is when we lay our life down and we follow God's plan for our life. That's what it is to have a purpose-filled living. That's why Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. So that's what's so good about this day. If you're taking notes, I'd want you to write this down. The reason it's such a good day for us is it reminds us that the cross is the only way to transform the world. All during Jesus' lifetime, people wanted to know who he was. They wanted to know, is he a prophet? Is he a mystic? Was he sent from God? Was he not sent from God? Even his enemies were confused by who Jesus was. At one point, people wanted to know, Jesus, why won't you declare? Sort of like a cat and mouse game. He was just toying with the people, or did he intentionally want to not disclose who he was? So there was a moment when he was with his followers, and he turned to his disciples, and he said to them, who do people say I am? What are they saying about me? What's the word on the street? So his disciples responded to him, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist, and others think you're Elijah. Somebody threw out that maybe you're even Jeremiah. I think this is fascinating. Think about it. Everybody was suggesting names of dead people. So Jesus, you must be a dead man walking. Well, they were half right. They just didn't know the fullness of it yet. So then Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, well, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And it was in that moment that Peter looked at Jesus and he said, you are the Messiah, the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus quickly responded and he said, blessed are you, Peter, because my father in heaven revealed that to you. Now watch. Jesus didn't affirm or disclose his identity. He just simply affirmed Peter in that moment. And he said, God gave you that revelation. So if you follow through, you start to see that Jesus was holding back on his identity for a very, very important purpose. Karl Barth, the theologian, he says this. He said, Jesus does not confess his messiahship until the moment when the danger of founding a religion is finally passed. Let that sink in. In fact, I'm going to read it for you again. Jesus does not confess his messiahship until the moment when the danger of founding a religion is finally passed. Jesus had more than enough opportunities to reveal that he was the Messiah. He was popular. The people loved him. They treated him with celebrity-like status. But Jesus would always redirect any of their intentions to move him into a popular position. See, if he had succumbed to the wishes of the crowd, they would have instantly crowned him as their king. And that would have effectively institutionalized the kingdom movement, stripping it of the power that God had intended for it. I want you to think about religion. Think about the different world religions. The weakness of religion is that it's all merely an institution. And institutions exist to preserve their culture. This is why the religious leaders were so vehemently opposed to Jesus. He was threatening their institution. He was threatening their way of life. And Jesus didn't come so that he could just start another religion. So their reason for existence was being challenged, and they thought the best way to get rid of Jesus was through the cross. But what they didn't realize is the cross was always the means by which God was going to transform our world. Transformation doesn't come through religion. Transformation comes through relationship. 
And that's why God sent his son. And listen, that's what's so good about Good Friday. It's because Jesus came so that we might have a relationship with our heavenly father. Jesus doesn't invite us into a way of religion. He doesn't want us to follow rules and regulations and to be bound up in all kinds of pressures. He wants us to live in a relationship because he knows when we're in relationship with him, we'll have the power to change the world around us. John Howard Yoder is a theologian and an ethicist, and he writes this about the cross. He said, the cross, the cup that now seemed so terrifying was the very reason that Jesus had come to earth. Here at the cross is the man who loves his enemies, the man whose righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees, who being rich became poor, who gives his robe to those who took his cloak, who prays for those who despitefully use him. Now listen to this. The cross is not a detour or a hurdle on the way to the kingdom. It is the kingdom. Friends, the cross is the only way by which we can transform the world around us. Jesus knew that. If he had avoided the cross, the whole messianic kingdom would have never come into fruition. It's because of the cross that Saul of Tarsus, a raging murderer, would be able to come into a relationship with Jesus and become a powerful preacher of the gospel. It's because of the cross that men and women would endure all kinds of persecution and hardship. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks about this. They were tortured, and they asked to not be released. They went through all kinds of challenges. It says they faced jeers and flogging. And all the while, they felt they were being privileged and honor for the sake of bearing the name of Jesus. See, through the cross, there is this power to understand that the transformation of this world is possible. In John chapter 15, verse 13, we read the words of Jesus. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And Jesus did something that night at that meal. He got up and he wrapped around a towel around him, took a basin of water, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. They didn't know it in the moment, but Jesus was demonstrating the power of transformation. In a world that strives to get to the top of the corporate ladder, in the world where everybody wants to be first, and we all do, we all want to be first, Jesus was showing us that there's a better way to live. There's a better way to change, but it only comes through the cross. And so he says the best way is when you lay your life down, and that's what Jesus did for us. So when I come to Good Friday and I contemplate the depth of the meaning of this day, I am reminded, what's so good about Good Friday? It's that Jesus transformed our world, and he invites us into that same experience. And you can do it, and I can do it when we follow the way of the cross. And here's the last thought. I want you to write this down. When you contemplate this thought, what's so good about Good Friday? I wrote it this way. It reminds us that the cross is the only way that we receive new life. There is no other way by which we can come into an eternal, lasting relationship with our Heavenly Father except through the cross. No human can adequately explain the nature of what took place within the Trinity at Calvary. No one. Authors have tried. We have volumes of books. We have songs that are written about it. We do our best with our human inadequacies to try to describe what happened at the cross. Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus the perfect one, the blameless one, the faultless one. God made him to be sin for me, to be sin for you. How do we even describe that? How do we, how do we comprehend what Good Friday represents? That's why all I can do is step back and say, this is good. It's, it's greater than the words of my mouth and my mind can even begin to conjure up. So when we sing songs like, worthy is the lamb, and we raise our hands, we begin to understand that words fail to convey all of the love that we feel for what Christ has done for us. The depth and the scope of divine sovereignty, it takes our breath away. God planned it, and Jesus fulfilled it. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 said, God did not even spare his own son, but he gave him up for all of us. That means there's not a person listening to my voice today no matter where you are, God did this for you. That's why this is so good, because this is where we find new life, through Jesus Christ. John Piper said that God's purpose for the world in the death of Jesus is completely unfathomable. We cannot comprehend all that Jesus did. Even those that were closest to him, even Peter didn't fully get it at first. When Jesus described that he had to go to the cross, he had to die, he was gonna be resurrected, Peter resisted and he said, no, Lord, I'll die for you. I'll fight for you. I'm gonna resist this pathway. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you don't understand. I have to do this. This is the path charted for me. Later on, Peter, in future years, would write these words, 1 Peter 2.24. He says about Jesus, he himself bore our sins, in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Peter finally got it. He had to release Jesus to his mission, his purpose, in order that Peter and I could experience new life, and so that you could experience new life too. 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us that are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, at Portico, if you're tuning in maybe for the first time, one of the things we talk about when we gather together in our campuses, and if you watch through Portico online, you'll hear us invite people to say yes to Jesus. And by saying yes to Jesus, we're simply asking them to recognize everything that Good Friday represents, that Jesus came to this earth at the will of the Father, that he lived his life, a sinless, pure life, willingly surrendered his life, died on a cross. And as he hung dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Then he pronounced, it is finished. And he gave up his last breath. Now, I'm so grateful that Good Friday is not the end of the story. And we're gonna get into Easter Sunday in just a few days. And we're gonna talk about the resurrection. But when Jesus said, it is finished, this wasn't the cry of defeat. This was the, the declaring call of victory. He said, it is finished. Sin is done. By dying on the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sins, your sins, my sins. And because of that, we can have new life. So when we invite people to say yes, we simply ask them, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ did all of this for you? And are you willing to invite him into your life? So today, that's my ask for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, then just with all of your heart, all of your spirit, 
just say, thank you, God, for everything that you have done for me. But if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, then why not choose today? Why not say yes right now? We're living in some crazy times. There's a lot of uncertainty. We don't know which way to turn, and we're listening to governments. We're listening to family and friends. We're watching the news. But did you know that God says that if you turn your heart and your life over towards him, that he will give you a peace that passes all understanding? Because then your future is not determined by the circumstances around you. It's determined by the cross of Jesus Christ and the hope that he has secured for us. And when you say yes, we have this invitation of eternal life. So my challenge to you today is, why not say yes to Jesus and invite him to be the Lord of your life? Let's do that. Thanks again for joining with us in today's service. If you would like someone to follow up with you for prayer, please let us know by filling out a prayer request at portico.cc prayer. And please remember to continue giving to the ministry. Even though we can't meet in person, we are still a church that is meeting both the physical and spiritual needs of our community. You can give today by clicking the donate button on the top right-hand side of your screen or by going to portico.cc donate. All the latest updates of where and how the church is meeting during this season can be found at portico.cc COVID-19. And you can always stay up to date by downloading our church app on the Google Play or iTunes store. Thanks for worshiping with us today, and we hope to see you again next week.